I'm Luke Alley. I'm Dave Alley. And this is All Things Climbing. So who did you talk to this week? So we talked to Eric Davidson, who is Merlin Rockier. Um, he's an engineer who makes these really, really large size cams, really just for fun, you know, sells them directly to people through the forums, uh, Mountain Project or Super Tobo or what have you, to, you know, give back to the community and stuff. Um, and so the, these are like 8, 10, 12 inch cams. Um, so much bigger than, you know, like the BD number six or the large wild country friends so filling the the gap where you know most commercial climbing brands just decided they don't want to produce cams that at that size i heard about i first heard about eric making these cams um in some reference to his operation on the either mountain project or super turbo forums and then my friend jay ended up reaching out to eric and buying one himself and so i've had the chance to play with it and use it since then and you know as soon as i was holding it in my hand i was like oh man we got to reach out to this guy you know, his design, his cam design is is really clever and it's interesting. And for the size of his cams, they're super lightweight relative to, say, those Valley Giants. What are some of the topics that you guys cover? Yeah, we talked about uh, the design process and we talked about exactly how he went through and tested them to convince himself that they were safe to use in a climbing setting. And then we talked about all of the challenges that are present in designing large cams in specific as opposed to smaller cams. We definitely we we definitely nerded out a little bit on on cams and the engineering to some extent. Maybe people should be aware of that going in. It's definitely like a little bit on the technical side at points, but like most of the most of the discussion around the actual cams themselves um, might get a little dry, but it should be fairly accessible to to everybody. But the the part that might need a bit of advanced explanation is we we talk about the design stage that he or design process that he went through and we go back and forth referring to um, this tool called FEA which stands for finite element analysis and essentially that's just a that's a software that mechanical engineers often use to to simulate the stress or strain on an object so FEA is kind of like a way of taking a test fall on a cam without actually having to build it yeah like digital test ball yeah exactly all right let's check it out first off like how did you decide that there was this niche that needed to be filled and and you were going to say fuck it and i'm going to do it so um i actually started making cams uh probably 10 or 12 years ago um and uh at the time i was making some micro cams and um mm. yeah i i was um i mean i've been a mechanical engineer for about 20 years and um you know strength of materials and machine design and that kind of thing um so i have a a good background for it um and you know i I do the the FEA and all the strength calcs. So um, I was pretty confident in, in all of that for figuring out these things would actually perform as expected. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I started making them uh, yeah many years ago. Um, and, you know, through, through various uh, workplaces, I've had access to Instron machines and stuff like that. So I've also been able to... Um, test everything I make before just, you know, trusting that my calcs are correct. Yeah. I mean, the FEA stuff I'm sure is convincing to, to, to you having done it for a long time, but I wonder if, if that's enough for 
to convince somebody else to like you know take a whipper on it. <laughs> right. Nice to nice to be able to nice to be able to test it. <laughs> exactly. It's it's convincing <laughs> for me um, because yeah, I've been I've been doing FEA for you know many many years and and. Um, I'm confident in the results I get from it, but I, I doubt anyone else would be, or, or at least that they'd be willing to, <laughs> yeah. to trust their life to that. Right. Yeah, so, trust their life to a stress strain curve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so they also want to see that it's, it's been tested. Um, nice. and so I do that as well. Um, but to answer your, your initial question, um, yeah, I started making these cans basically for myself, kind of as just a side project. And I was, like I said, originally making these these micro cans. Um, and and yeah, there, you know, I knew there wasn't really a market for them. That that market is is pretty saturated. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean you felt that way about just for cams in general, or the micro sizes that you were making in specific? The micro cams. Yeah. Yeah. The micro cams there, there are tons of people who do that and yeah, and do it pretty well. Less so. Yeah. Less so 12 years ago, but you know, more so in the past. Yeah. Five or years or, or so there, there have been a lot of people who've entered that market and, and yeah, like you said, they do it pretty well. Um, so that, that market's pretty saturated. Um, but like I said, I was just making them for myself as a hobby. Yeah. And then, um, so my wife really likes to climb off widths, um, but she doesn't like to be scared. And, um, that's great. That's very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she wants a, a cam above her and, uh, you know, with, with the off widths, it's typical that you just kind of scoot these things above you as you go. Right. Um, so you're kind of always on top rope and um yeah i didn't really see anything in the market uh you know that i that i thought would would be good for that um i mean you've heard of valley giants um i think i think that was the only option at the time and um yeah, I just wanted to do to to do something different. So, yeah, and you know, even to your point, even the Valley Giants, which are sort of more widely known as like the large, large size, is not the kind of thing that you can buy at a gear shop or REI or or anything like that. You know, that's like even that, which you say is like the sort of standard option, is not not like a mainstream available product, right? Exactly. Yeah the the largest cams you know, um, like a BD number six. Um, I don't know if wild country, they might make one that's about the same size or slightly larger. I don't, I think it's a little bit bigger, but same, same, right. It's like, it it protects like roughly the same size. Yeah. And it tops out at around six inches. So we were, we were climbing, um, stuff that was larger. Um, and yeah, Valley giants, you can't just go by them. I mean, you have to, you know, contact Tom and get on the list and all that. So, um, so I decided to make cams for that purpose. So stuff above six inches. 
And um, yes, it was originally intended just for for me and my wife. Um, and yeah, there were some things I didn't like about Valley Giants that I wanted to improve on. Um, you know, most notably the weight, um, yeah. but also the range. Uh, the Valley Giant is like a single axle design and. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a fan of um, the Camelots, you know, the C4s, the double axle. And so I'm yeah. like, why why can't I do this with a double axle and get, you know, substantially more range? Um, and at the same time, reduce the weight. So uh, those were kind of the the goals. And um, yeah, yeah. so I started making these larger cams. And yeah, it was just for us. Um and that was, I don't know, four or five years ago and, and we were climbing on them. And, and like I said, I, I also tested them on, on Enstron machines before, mm-hmm. you know, just sending my wife up with one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, um, they worked well, you know, I went through, you know, a couple iterations and, and made some improvements. When you were testing them, did you test them to failure? Yeah. Okay. What's the failure mechanism? I'm just curious. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's the same for all other cams and it's not just yours, but I was kind of curious, like, where is the weak link in cam design typically? Yeah. So, so for almost all commercial cams, it's the wire rope, the stem breaks. Gotcha. But the problem with, um, big cams is that, uh, you introduce another potential failure mechanism that you don't see in small cams, which is lobe um, buckling. Right. So that's like the lobes can just fold, mm-hmm. right? Like the lo- the lobes themselves actually crease rather than like the they f- collapse inwards, right? Like the lobes that the actual plane of the lobe is is bending. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's bending out of plane, and so you know, the cam when it's done kind of looks like a, a taco or something, mm-hmm. right? It's the, the lobes just fold over on themselves. Um, and that, that's a particular failure mechanism to large cams. And is that, is that placement specific or does that tend to happen in, even with, you know, downward pull based on the um, geometry of the cam, because you've got like, you know, the stem in a certain place and then maybe the contact with the rock, um, you know, like offset from the direction of pull or something. It's like pulling it inward, so to speak. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Great question. So in, in typical in strong testing, um, you know, you make sure everything's well aligned and you're pulling straight down. Um, uh, the lobes are still in compression. And so buckling is still a, a concern, but you have like very even loading. Mm-hmm. Um, buckling is how like a long, column fails right or like say you took a straw and you you know you pressed it between your two hands it it, the failure mechanism would be it it curves outwards right Mm -hmm, right like pushing a rope yeah and it kinks so that's that's buckling so that can still happen when you have everything perfectly aligned um i have not well i have seen that in in testing where I've had like compromised lobes. Um, but when, when, with a brand new cam, I haven't actually seen that yet in testing, but in, in real world, 
world scenarios like you were uh, alluding to um if if the cam is not placed in the direction of fall so you know how it would be pulled when you when you fall on it um if it's like tilted outward or something like that and the cam is placed in such a manner that it's not allowed to actually rotate yeah um towards the direction of fall so maybe the crack is constricting or it's up against a little you know bump or crystal or something and and you fall on it uh what happens is you you produce an off-axis load mm-hmm. and that's also that's that's putting a, a stress on the lobes that is that is similar to what's going to happen in buckling so uh it's technically different from buckling but it it leads to it yeah. so that also causes the same kind of out of plane movement of of lobes which the result is the same as buckling but the you know the it's just kind of a different loading scenario yeah like the initiation of the problem is different yeah yeah exactly the manifestation is is the same your your cam in the end is going to look like a taco and <laughs> and it's going to support you know much lower load than um what it's rated for or what testing will will tell you it holds right so that's a big problem with with kind of rating these large cams is you know i have no idea how someone's going to place this thing so um, <laughs> right well yeah it's true and i mean that that does get to you know what what exactly are we trying to capture with the process of of testing these things right like you're are you trying to capture how robust they are in perfect placement or are you trying to convey some sort of information about like how you know forgiving they are to imperfect placement in the real world and the whole process of testing has some assumptions about climber competence baked in exactly so all all cams the ratings are for perfect placements exactly and yeah. for perfect and for perfect loading um it you know there's there's usually a small safety factor placed on that but mm-hmm. in in the world of cams that safety factor is small mm-hmm. you know for for all of them, it's pretty small. Right. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't take into account um, imperfect placements or imperfect loading, right. which is common. That stuff is nearly impossible to test for. Exactly. So I don't know how bad the placement's going to be. Right? Well, there's infinite permutations, and there's also the kind of problem that's impossible to engineer against. So. Yeah, and it's it's hard to like set up those specific tests, and then and then those those tests are kind of meaningless, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's like a climber can't be out there like measuring the angle at, at which this thing's going to end up at when they fall, you know? So, <laughs> right. um, I, I, I do some other testing, which is a little bit relevant to that. Um, so the other kind of unique thing about these cams is that I have a semi rigid stem. Mm-hmm. So most cams, well, nearly all cams use um, a wire rope stem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the original friends had these rigid stems and, and those those had issues because, you know, if you, if you uh, 
yeah. place them in such a way that they got bent, they could break and stuff like that. Um, and then people like the uh, the wire rope stem because of its flexibility. Um, that doesn't work as well for large cams because the heads are so heavy. That's one. And then the stems have to be fairly long, hmm. um, right, to, to clear your hands. So the lobes yeah. clear your hands when you, when you retract the lobes. So the, the stems are long, the heads are heavy. And so making a cam that isn't like really floppy is, is challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you can add more metal to the problem, right? You could just add thicker and thicker wire rope. Um, but you're adding a lot of unnecessary weight, right? Yeah. So increasing the, you know, the load carrying capability of the stem, but for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Because a better option exists. Yeah, which is, well, you want to you want to use um, the minimum amount of material to get you know the strength that that you want to achieve, because um, that's going to result in in the lowest weight. Um, and so what I've done is instead of use a, a wire rope, um, I've used a rigid a rigid rod basically. So yeah, it's, it's a solid rod. Um, and it's made out of, uh, an extremely strong stainless steel called 174. Mm -hmm. Um, I heat treat it to, you know, H1025 condition, um, which gives it incredible strength. And at the same time, uh, really good ductility and, um, fatigue resistance. Um, so it's, it's really kind of an amazing material and it allows me to get away with a rod that's, uh, five thirty seconds of an inch. So mm -hmm. that rod in theory will hold like 14 kilonewtons. Um, and I haven't managed to break one yet. Yeah. It's really, it's, so I've used one of your cams. Um, it's, it's, it's really thin. It's very thin. It's great. It's very thin. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really, it's like when you, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh wow, this is uh and, and part of it is that you expect to, when you go to pick it up, you expect the cam to be heavier. And so just by looking right. at it, you, you think like, oh, that's totally insufficient, but then the cam is lighter and then the head is, you know, more manageable. And so you're like, oh, once you're holding it, it becomes clear that it's like, it's a good uh, pairing of, of dimensions. But, but yeah, it's uh that was one of the things that struck me when I first looked at it. It's probably, so it's probably still not clear to most people that that stem is, is of sufficient strength. Um, yeah. but that, that's like one of the strongest stainless steels there is, um, while maintaining good ductility. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, do you, you mentioned this, the, the ductility and the fatigue on the stem is fatiguing on the stem a problem. It seems like so, that would be like, there'd be such a linear, um, you know, force application, I guess, or is it like right at the attachment in, in like an off plane loading situation? I mean, where I just, I'm trying to picture how you would fatigue the stem. Yeah. So, so if, if, if you make perfect placements all day, every day and you take huge whippers, this thing will last, you know, millions of cycles, yeah. you know? No one's going to do that, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a challenge, everybody listening. For, 
Or number one, make perfect placements, but number two, take millions of whippers, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. No, one, no one does that. Um, so it will never, ever fail in those conditions. Yeah. What, what you can see since the stem is rigid, and even with wire rope, you can see this. Like if, I don't know if you've done much aid climbing, but, mm -hmm. you know, you can kink wire ropes, and that's, that's yeah. the same thing. It's, it's plastically deforming the wire rope, and you have to bend it back in the opposite direction, like 180 degrees to get it back to straight. You know, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the same, same thing. Yep. You're just working with smaller wires. This is, this you can think of as just a larger wire. So if, if you do place it not in the direction of fall, um, and this can even happen when you, uh, when you place it at an angle and sit on it, like you take, um, you can actually cause the stem to bend, yeah. uh, where, where it contacts the head, you know, that's where, yeah. that's where the moment is highest. Um, and it doesn't, you know, you have such a long lever arm there between the sling and the head that it takes actually, you know, not a lot of force to, to plastically deform the stem where it meets the head. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and so this, you know, people have taken whippers on these. It's, it, it's happened a lot. Um, I haven't heard of one failing yet. They've always caught, but, uh, what can happen and what's expected, like I expected the, the, the stem will bend. Right. And it, it will take, kind of a, a bent shape it bends right at at the head and you know in the in the little brochure i send out with these i say you know if that happens just bend it back to straight um which 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 is fine that's what people do um that's what we do um but you can imagine um that that can be a fatigue scenario because yeah the stresses involved there are are incredibly high right uh, you're bending, you know, 17-4 stainless steel, which means your stresses are, you know, above 1,200 megapascals. It, it, it's, they're just really high stresses um, to cause a material like this to bend. Um, and when you get up into that point of plastic deformation, you, you plastically deform it one way, you bend it back, you know, you can do this so many number of times before the stem can actually break. Right. Yeah. I was actually just, just going to ask you, if, do you know exactly how much strength is lost when that, in that like common, you know, plastic de deformation of the stem type of scenario? Yeah. So, right. So these, these are additional tests I've done. Um, and I did them specifically because like some people sent me pictures of like, fairly substantially bent stems, you know, they're bent at like 20 degrees or something like that. Mm. And I've never bent one beyond, you know, maybe a few degrees. Right. I'm like, okay, that's actually, that's actually a lot of bending. Yeah. <laughs> I know you get, I know you can bend it back straight, but how many, how many of those whippers can you actually take? Yeah. And um, then are you going to go back with a cam that looks fine from that point on, but it's really only 70% of the cam or something, you know? Right. So, okay. So to that point, if you bend it back straight, um, the, 
it's it's lost almost zero of the strength. Okay. So um, you can still make perfect placements and fall on it all day long, you know, uh, for the next, you know, 100 years or something, and you'll be fine. Like mi- literally millions of cycles, yeah. you'll be fine. The The stress caused by a fall on this stem is not substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to the strength of the stem. So um, what what will eventually cause failure is more of these bend cycles. And it, it depends on how severe the bend is and, well, and how many of them there are. Um, mm-hmm. And the fatigue is highly nonlinear. So if I bent this, you know, five degrees, I could probably take thousands of falls, no problem. If I bend it 10 degrees, maybe it's hundreds of falls, 20 degrees. Um, and that's the testing I did was, uh, yeah, 20 degrees, like final set. So mm-hmm. this thing, this thing's also very strong. It'll, it'll like spring back, you know, from various positions. So I'd bend it to about 45 degrees or no, maybe it was 35 degrees. It bends back to say 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so 20 degrees would be the final set, yeah. right? Like you, you, in that scenario, you're bending the let the arm to 35 degrees, letting go of it, and then it kind of retracts to 20. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then I do it in the opposite direction. So that's the, the very worst case scenario you can get for fatigue is like a fully reversed cycle where you go from positive stress to negative stress to positive stress to negative stress, and you do that over and over. So I bent it 35 degrees one way, 35 degrees the other way, 35, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And at 20 degrees, I was getting, uh, none of them failed below 60 cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, presumably you could take 60 whippers on these and bend it back to straight. Um, And each time this is like like 60 whippers, each bending the stem, right? Each you're... bending the stem in a different direction, right. um, up to uh, you know at twenty degrees each time. So yeah, this isn't like you bend place, it once and then place... you take sixty clean whippers, right? Like you're talking about sixty no, damaging no, 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 whippers no. in a row. If you yeah, if you bend it once and then you take a million clean whippers, you're fine. Right, right, right. I'm talking about you place it very poorly sixty times in a row, <laughs> such that. You know, every time you whip, you're bending the stem by 20 degrees, and you know, yeah. <laughs> in, in that in that scenario, you know, yes, the the stem is eventually going to break. Um, yeah, I mean, in that scenario, your major problem is not engineering in nature, right? <laughs> like, if you're out no, doing that in the real like, world, you have a much more dire problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah. First of all, you know, learn how to place cams better. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. and, and and why are you taking all these massive? Whip- I mean, some, yeah. maybe I mean, hats the, off. I guess of right. Pros. Some super futuristic. Yeah. Line, some of, some like, of the good lord. Some of the pros do, but that's also um, not the typical use case of cams this large. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Like you said, it's um, always t- you're always just top roping on them. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are yeah, people not who literally push it. always maybe, but yeah. 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 There are people who push it and, and, you know, they're climbing some crazy shit and, and, and yeah, they're, they're taking whippers like this. Um, and yeah, 
to those people, you know, if, if you are taking these kind of whippers and every time you're bending the stem by like 20 degrees, you know, if you take enough of those, you know, please send the can back and, I, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll replace the stem for free. Like yeah, if, nice. if you're actually doing that kind of thing, but yeah, that's the yeah. number of climbers who do that are far and few between. So, so I have a, yeah, I mean, I mean, that makes total sense, right? I mean, the thing looks super robust and I just, you'd never expect it to just collapse like that. Right. Unless you're doing that kind of cyclic damage, but, um, right. And, and, and so the other thing I should point out is if you are taking, you know, big off axis whippers like that, um, the stem probably not going to be the first thing to stop you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like the, something, like the something, or something like that that we mentioned. Yeah. Earlier. Eventually you might get buckling. Um, uh, you know, if, if the cam is open a little wider, uh, I can also imagine a common scenario where the cam doesn't fail per se, but the, some of the moving parts, um, bend in such a way that the action of the cam is compromised. Exactly. So that's, that's exactly what I was about to say, which is that like, even if the buckling doesn't result in a, a, a an outright failure, mm-hmm. um, or I guess in this case, it wouldn't be buckling, but actually just off axis bending, mm-hmm. um, the, the cam lobes can bend enough and, and suffer, you know, enough plastic deformation that they no longer operate correctly yeah and then that's self-limiting like yeah the cam is like no longer usable and it has nothing to do with the stem yeah yeah, yeah so that makes sense. At, at that at that point you can still bend the stem back and then you know it's easy enough for me to replace bent lobes mm-hmm. um yeah yeah you just like those are like fairly modular like you just pull them off and put a new one on yeah every everything on the cam is or all all the kind of working mechanism is easy, extremely easy for me to replace. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that's like really difficult is if anything um, in the stem assembly gets compromised, um, and you know this the stem end that's the I beam looking part. You know, nothing's going to happen to that. Nothing's going to happen to the handle. But, um, you know, in the trigger, I have this uh, trigger lock mechanism. I think you've seen that if you've played with the cams. Um, There's basically features in the trigger that allow it to lock onto the handle and and lock the cam in a closed position. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's super handy, right. For yeah. carrying, carrying these large cams on, on your rack. Yeah, so they don't sure. like get, get caught on everything. Um, but there's some fairly like fine features on the trigger that allow the trigger lock to happen. Um, and the trigger is aluminum, so it's, it's a soft material mm-hmm. and, um, so it is possible to kind of damage that trigger lock mechanism by the easiest way to do it is if you have the cam in the lock position and you try to force it open, you're going to end up, you're going to end up bending or breaking something. Mm -hmm. And if it's, and it, 
that won't affect like the operation of the cam, but you know, it, it will affect probably the ability to actually lock it in the closed position. You know, maybe you can no longer do that. So, um, the trigger would be one thing that would be extremely difficult for me to replace because I have to basically undo the silver soldering at the top of the stem. Oh, I see. Um, and to do that, basically I have to reverse that operation, which means getting the, the handle and stem back up to 1300 degrees and until it falls off. Basically rebuilding the cam. Yeah, so that's extremely hard to do. Uh, everything else is very easy, you know, replacing control horns, um, trigger wires, lobes. All of that is super easy to do. So, what do you what do you have the um, another this last design question for you is like what do you have those truss bars in there for? Yeah, so um, I call those the control horns. Okay, and um, you know, they're, they're not unlike, um, control horns that you see on airplanes or, or, you know, even model cars or model airplanes or something like that, where, um, you have a horn sticking out from the control surface, which you use to, you know, uh, actuate it back and forth. Mm. I'm doing the, the exact same thing here where, um, yeah, the control horn basically goes, uh, passes through one lobe and to the next, um, and it positively engages one of the lobes, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, one side engages one lobe, the other side engages the other lobe. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's just like a positive drive mechanism, you know. So it's just like a a a square hole and a square peg kind of thing. Um, and yeah, what that kind of allows me to do is put all of the retraction stuff. So the, the trigger, um, the trigger wires are all internal to the lobes. Mm. Whereas if, if you look at any other commercially made cam, um, you know, they don't have these control horns. The the trigger wires are attached directly to the lobes. Um, and that's all fine and good, but what that means is that the um, the trigger wires actually have to go between the two lobes. Yeah. They have to sit between between them. <laughs> which which means a couple of things. One is that it means the trigger wires have to to go all the way around the axles. So that's, yeah. that's one reason BD actually, you know, it'd be difficult for them to make their spacing greater is, is for that reason, you know, the, the trigger wires have to go around those axles. Um, so it, so it allows you to, to increase the axle spacing. Um, and it also, yeah, the other big thing is is that um, the tips of your lobes no longer have to necessarily clear the trigger. Right. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So, so if I wanted with these cams, um, 
and I'm not doing this currently, but I could I could make them even wider. I could basically make them wide enough that you could get your entire kind of fist between the inner two lobes. Mm -hmm. And then I could make the stem kind of any length I want, I right? See. Because yeah, I'm right. not, yeah, I'm not restricted by the trigger wires having to, or the trigger having to clear those cam lobes, yeah. Um, which all other manufacturers are because the the trigger wires are between the cam lobes. Yep. Um, so that's really what the the control horns are are doing here. The cool. yeah, the other nice thing it it does is. Um, well, for one, it, it puts the, the trigger wires internal to everything. So, you know, with these large cams, the trigger wires tend to be longer and easier to snag on things. So that's, that's less of a concern because it's all internal. Um, it makes the trigger lock easier for me. And then, uh, you can see that, um, connecting to the control horns, I have these, uh, black clevises. Mm -hmm. And those are taken directly from like, that's an off the shelf item, you know, that these are used in model airplanes, you know, yeah, exclusive, well, nearly exclusively. So that's a model airplane part. Nice. Um, that's awesome. But, but yeah, that, that's like a, it's like a, you know, very kind of smooth pivot point. Um, this gives me the ability to really easily kind of, make the trade-off between um, retraction force versus um, kind of trigger throw, right? Like yeah. how far you have to pull the trigger to get the things to retract yeah. um, versus the force required to do that. I have direct control over that trade-off, right? Awesome. I, can, I can just increase or decrease the size of uh, the control horn. Yeah. Which tunes that up, up or down based on, and that's just the le a function of the lever arm of the control horn. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I can awesome. make that longer, shorter. So, you know, the trade-off is, you know, force versus distance of retraction. Um, that's a super cool design. I have to say as an engineer, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, uh, impressed with, uh, it, it has like an elegance to it, right? Like there's some, the, trigger or the control horns are, are a clever solution to, uh, to the stuff that you were just talking about. So yeah, thanks. Kudos, I, man. It, that's really cool. Thanks. It, yeah, that was kind of the main innovation in, in this cam, which allows me to, to do all the things I've been talking about, which yeah. is reduced weight and, and increased range. And, uh, without the control horns, it'd be a lot harder to yeah. kind of achieve the, those of, yeah um, that makes total sense um they, it's, it's easy to imagine they, why once you offer the explanation that you just unpacked right it's yeah it's, it's they, those they, are they do apparent. have uh so the downside of using them of course is that they are extra parts that right. that i have to machine and, <laughs> and sure. assemble yeah um and they're not like entirely uh, easy parts to, to machine. Yeah. Right. It's, it's kind of like a post with a long horn on it. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, that's not something you would typically say is great for machining because, yeah. uh, you, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of material removal yeah. in that process. Labor intensive. And so, um, have you ever considered doing a production run of these? So, so it depends on, 
you know, what you call a, a production run. I, I make these in batches. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I machine nearly all the parts myself. Yeah. Um, the only ones I can't do are the axles cause that's, you know, a lathe instead of a, a mill, mm-hmm. which I, I don't, don't have. Um, I have someone make the springs. Yeah. There are a couple like off the shelf items, every, everything else I machine myself. Um, and you know, obviously it's much more efficient to machine things in batches yeah. because, uh, you know, most, most of the, not most of the time, but a lot of the time is actually set up, you know, set up the CNC machine, you, you load all the tools and and then you run a bunch of parts. Um, and so, um, so right now I'm actually building out the largest batch of cams I've ever built out at one time. Nice. Uh, I'm making, so it's like slightly over 50 number eights, and a little over 20, um, number 10. So I, 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 yeah, I think there's 74 cams total maybe that I'm, that I'm building out in, in this batch. So, so, um, I guess what I meant by the, by production that, that is, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from here. That is like a legitimate production run. But, um, part of what I was curious about was how close are you to, uh, quitting your day job and going full Merlin? Oh, that's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Anyone who thinks this is like a money making business is mistaken. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, there's no way I could pay any bills or support myself at all making camps. Very clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not if I put any value at all on my own time. Yeah. Fair (laughs) enough. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's fair. um, So you really are making a run of 50 number eights and then 20 or so number tens really just for fun. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, um, that's awesome. That's like, uh, you know, I'm not, not disbelieving you at all. I just, I, I think it's incredible. That's really cool. It, I look at it as, uh, kind of like a service to the climbing community. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I don't actively lose money. If I was losing money, I wouldn't, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't do this. I just make them for myself. So I'm not like actively losing money that yeah. the hobby pays for itself. Yeah. So, and it's, it's fun. And I learn a lot in the process of doing it. Like I'm making continual improvements, right. With every batch. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy that process and, and yeah, I have learned a lot um, about the, you know, the various processes that go into making a cam and, and they help with, you know, other aspects of other jobs. So, um, that's cool. and, and yeah, it's, 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 it is a fun hobby, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I guess, for but a... yeah, it's, it's, you're not going to make a, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to make a living doing this. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> And the, you know, frankly, like with these large cans, the eights and the tens, you know, the, the market also isn't yeah. large enough to support it. Right. Like so, you're, there's not some massive economies of scale fa- forces at work here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, that being said, it's a lot larger than I thought it was. No so, doubt, man. For sure. When I, That's a big batch. You're when talking I first, about. Yeah. When I first started 
making these for people, I'm like, oh, the the total number of people in the entire world who might want a cam <laughs> like this or not want, but pay for a cam like this is probably about 50. Yeah. Well, right? you know, look at your point at the beginning of the conversation though, about how few, um, well, I guess this cuts both ways, right? Cause like you've got the major brands who don't make, like they pretty much universally do not make cams in this size. And so on the one hand you could say, well, look at all that space to be filled Right. But on the other hand, you could look at that and say, well, there's probably a reason why they all opted to not make cams this big. Right. Like they probably did a market analysis. <laughs> there's a reason. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are a couple of reasons. One, I don't I don't think the market's there to support it. You know, there there just simply aren't that many climbers who who like climbing wide cracks. Yeah. And 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 there actually aren't that many locations in the world where it's common right yeah like, and the other thing is like the average climber if you're going to build out a rack of cams to go climbing you might need several um of each hand size piece or finger size piece right but like how many yeah merlin tens are you going to have on a rack you know what i'm saying like you're probably going to own one max yeah at yeah at most you're going to one own one number 10, like I, I can't think of a single climb where you would ever need more than one number 10. That's, it is gigantic, right? It's like, that's full on chimney. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it maxes out at like 13 inches. So that, that's huge. You're never going to need more than num one number 10. Cause you're going to like, just push it above you for the, the entire way. Um, and, and you'll never need more than two number eights, yeah. right? They're, they're like some climbs where, yeah, maybe it'd be nice to have two number eights because that's a slightly, you know, it's a harder size and, and there are pitches where it's like a hundred feet or 200 feet of that size. So yeah. maybe you'll want two, but yeah, those climbs number like a few, you know, and right. In, like in you're probably world. borrowing they're, a friend's cam for those or something like that instead of yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Ho hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Or more like more yeah. you know, to your point about the the people not liking offwoods, you're probably just not doing those pitches. You know, in the case of most climbers. Yeah, yeah you're avoiding them. Or yeah. I mean I'd I'd like to think that these cams have opened up off with climbing to more people, maybe. Yeah. I you know, I I can't be sure of that, but a lot of people who order the cams, I think they are like, you know, fairly beginner and, and I can see how off widths would be extremely intimidating, you know, if you didn't have a cam like this. Um, well, I think that's probably very true. So I think more and more people are kind of climbing off widths, uh, but still it, it represents a, yeah. Just a teeny tiny fraction of the climbing community. Right. No, that's totally fair. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's awesome that you do that just, just to, you know, gift this back to the, to the climbing community. So thank you for doing that. I think that's, that's really sweet. Um, I was wondering, uh, I have a t-shirt of yours actually that was gifted to me by a friend who owns <laughs> one of your eights and it has a cat on the back chimneying push, <laughs> you, yeah, pushing a cam up the crack ahead of it obviously in the technique that we were just discussing and i <laughs> presume that that cat is merlin himself um it is, how yeah. did you end up with the cat as your brand ambassador um 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's our cat, Merlin. Um, uh, he's a little crazy. Um, and, you know, we figured, you know, people who climb off wits are usually uh, a little crazy. Um, so it seemed, seemed to fit um, kind of from that perspective. That's and awesome. It's just kind of a... I don't know, just kind of a catchy name. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. That we like. In fact, actually, the name, I think the name is so good that I wasn't thinking, oh, well, where did this name come from? And and then I saw the cat and I was like, oh, oh, that must be it. Right. You know, like I wasn't, I wasn't um, searching for an explanation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It is, it is named after our. Our cat Merlin. <laughs> That's so and, awesome. Um, yeah, the 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 T-shirt um, is also something you know I'm you know specifically not making any money on. You know that yeah, was kind definitely. of just a just a just a fun thing, and you know I just sell them at at cost or slightly below cost, I guess. Um, yeah, so it was kind of just a, a fun thing we wanted to do for for our friends and yeah. um, anyone who who might want one. Um, but yeah, the other fun aspect of that is you know we have a a friend who um, illustrates children's books. Oh, nice! And so I I basically uh, commissioned her to to draw the illustration on on the back with. Merlin pushing the camera, chasing a, <laughs> a mouse. So. That's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, it, it's and it seems like it, it seems somewhat fitting. Uh, you know, and you were discussing earlier about how there's just nobody out there making cams this size, and I mean, there's nobody out there making T-shirts of a cat grinding up an awkward. So it's like <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it all hangs together very very neatly in my mind. <laughs> That's right, probably for good reason. Yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. So maybe just um, some supply and demand forces yeah, so. under, underneath all this. Oh, that's really cool, man. So, um, how, how should people get in touch with you if they, uh, if they want one of these? Yeah. So, um, I intentionally don't have a a website yet. Um, and the reason for that is like right now I, I still have, um, more orders than I can fill in a timely manner. Yeah. So if, if, if that ever changes and I have, you know, lots of cams and not a lot of orders, you know, maybe I'll make a a website. Um, but right now, uh, so the initial mention of these was, um, on a super topo forum. Um, and that's actually how it got started. I, I had never actually intended to, to sell these and until kind of someone posted a picture of one and, and other people got, excited about it um and i'm like okay i'll make i'll make some for these people who have kind of started a list of you know those those who want one um and so that's kind of how it got started and so there's a mention on yeah maybe a couple forums on super topo and then i think there's one on on mountain projects so you know if you search for merlin cams or Merlin rock gear or something like that. I, you know, you'll probably get those forum hits. Um, and then, uh, those basically just direct you to contact me via the email address, which is, uh, Merlin rock gear at gmail.com. Cool. 
Um, so yeah, people just, uh, send me emails and basically all they say is, you know, I want to get on the list for a number eight or a number 10. And, uh, I write back and I'm like, okay, good. And <laughs> I, I, I put you on the list, you know, and, um, so since I am making these in like large batch sizes, the the time to get one completely depends on kind of where you fall in that next batch, gotcha. right? Like, so if you contact, like if a batch is sold out and, and someone contacts me kind of as I'm making that batch or kind of at the end of that, you know, you're probably looking at like four months. Um, but if I'm getting a, uh, you know, towards making a batch, you know, I've made most of the parts and started assembly and stuff and the batch isn't sold out yet. It, it could be as little as, you know, a few weeks or a yeah. couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. it, it just depends where you fall in that kind of four month timeline that it typically takes me to, to produce a batch. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, my last question for you is have you or your wife, uh, whipped on one of these yet? <laughs> Um, we, we have not, um, so yeah, we're, so I'll preface this by saying neither of us are like awesome climbers. Um, I mean, we, we love climbing. We, we climb cracks in Yosemite all the time and we like climbing wide cracks, but, uh, we typically push these above us. Sure. Um, and you know, as a result, you know, we're not out there taking huge whippers on, yeah, fair, on, fair these, enough, yeah. uh, on these cans. Um, just by how we use them and, and, and the fact that, you know, we're not climbing five twelve off with. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, I, I, have not, I certainly am not asking from the perspective of having done this myself, myself. Yeah. Just so curious, just curious. Um, that being said, uh, you know, we have every now and then we'll sit on one, you know, just, just take and, and hang out there. But you know, it's, the cam is above us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's a, you know, fairly common occurrence. Um, yeah, so we, we have not, uh, but other people certainly do. Yeah. So, <laughs> nice. um, that's awesome. yeah, I, I, I know of, yeah, several people who have, who have taken whippers, some of them, you know, relatively large whippers on, on these. And, um, yeah, so it, it does happen. It's just not by us. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's totally fair. Well, uh, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take your number eight out actually this weekend. So hopefully I can get, uh, get at least one, oh, great. one, one fall onto it. That'd be awesome. I'll, I'll try to get a photo and let you know how, uh, how, what, uh, what area? Oh, we're going to go to Indian Creek. Um, you know, oh, the see, creek. Awesome. Yeah, okay. See, see if we can find something to, uh, yeah, the creek is, off. yeah, the creek is one of the prime areas where, where people use these, uh, yeah. Yosemite being the other. Yeah. I can imagine like a large, um, driving motivator for some of your Yosemite sales are like specific pitches, like the hollow flake or, you know, the Harding slot or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, a lot of people her, yeah, I don't know the exact number, but 
definitely people contact me who, you know, they're going to do um, a Salate wall and they specifically want a cam for um, the hollow flake. Sure. Uh, and or, well, and sometimes the ear and monster off with, and I think there's one pitch above the monster where, or if my memory serves me well, one pitch above the monster where it's also handy. So yeah, there are like a few pitches on Salate wall where, where people uh, use these and a, um, a bunch of our friends, maybe, I don't know, three or four, five friends have, have used them for that specific wall. Um, so yeah, so Salate is, is the main one where people typically contact me and and Mm -hmm. want to camp. Um, yeah, obviously there are like many other cracks in Yosemite where one of these would be useful, but yeah. Um, it's not as often that I hear about people using them for that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times those kinds of off with pitches don't, they're not guarding another classic sought after route in the way that the hollow flake is. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, Salate is, you know, one of the most popular routes or big walls in the, in the country and, um, or in the world, I guess people come from all over the climate and, yeah, these off with pitches are are not, you know, by far not the hardest on on the route. But like the hollow flake, I forget if it goes at five eight or I think nine, it's but a, not five nine. But it's it's more the fact that it's known to be run out at it, the top or slash oh, unprotectable yeah, if you have a number six crack cam, right? Yeah, it's like a hundred and twenty feet of number eight crack. You know, so yeah, <laughs> so. Exactly. If you don't have a a cam of this size, you know, regardless of the pitch's difficulty, it is a, extremely intimidating. Yeah, you know, exactly. Especially, especially given all the air under you at that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've often joked that we should just, you know, take a bunch of these up to Heart Ledges and just <laughs> <laughs> yes, and just set up your shop there. <laughs> yeah, see how much. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. When when they're looking at the hollow flake head yeah. on. So. That's very enterprising of you. Well, maybe if you do ever want to quit your day job, that's how you'll do it. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so cool. Oh man, um, I should probably let you go. I know you've got work to get to this morning, so um, yeah, great. But sounds, man, sounds good, Dave. It, it was awesome talking to you. I I, uh, I really appreciate you letting me uh, look under the hood of uh, your operation. And... Yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Dave. If you liked the episode, please find us on iTunes and leave us a rating and maybe some feedback. It helps others to find the show and helps us to continue producing it. All right, take care. <laughs>